open your Bible to Acts chapter 20. And I must tell you that I have known since the late 1980s what passage of Scripture I was going to tell you to open your Bible to today. Today is the last day that I'm going to ask you to open your Bible as your pastor. Because today is my last day to preach to you as your pastor. You're excited about that. There are people clapping. <laughs> Finally, we're going to get somebody that knows how to preach. I get it. I get it. And so this is a special day. I know it's like Christmas weekend, but this is a special day for me and my family. My family's over here. My church family is here. Many of our church family are joining us online. And so it is great to see a packed house in church. Uh, the reason I have ask you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 20 is because when I was a teenager in high school and just getting familiar with the gospel and the Bible, um, every six months or so, my church in Lawton, Oklahoma would invite a special flaming evangelist to come and preach to our church because we needed revival about every six months at our church. And I remember one of these guys that came and preached to us, his name was Bill Stafford. He was from Georgia. Is there anybody in the room that's ever heard Bill Stafford preach way up here? I see one person down here. Now, if you've ever sat under the preaching of Bill Stafford, you understand this guy doesn't mess around with the Bible. And I remember I was so convicted and I was so set aflame by his preaching. At the end of one of the services, I sheepishly approached him and I brought him my Bible and I asked him to sign my Bible. That was one of the things that you did if, if somebody really impacted you and you were kind of a, a budding preacher. You wanted other preachers to sign your Bible. So he signed, his, he signed my Bible, and when he signed my Bible, he included a Bible verse under his name. And the verse that he included was Acts 20, 24. I didn't know where the book of Acts was in my Bible at that point, but I immediately opened it up and I read Acts 20, 24. Five things happened to me when I read that passage. Number one, Acts 20, 24 immediately became my life verse. Humanly speaking, I'm here today because Bill Stafford wrote Acts 20, 24 in my Bible. And we're going to look at Acts 20, 24 today. In the 13 years of preaching in this church, I've never preached Acts 20, 24 to you. So we're going to look at that today. The second thing that happened when I read that verse is I repented of some deep selfishness in my life. Let's read Acts chapter 20, verse 24 together. It says this, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. When I read that verse, I thought, man, if somebody was ever finishing their ministry at a church, that would be the verse you would want to preach your last sermon on. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So number one, that became my life verse. Number two, I repented of counting my life as 
precious to myself. Do you see the word accounting there? That's actually an accounting term. It means to put two things on opposite ends of a scale. My life, the life of Jesus. My life, eternal life. My life, the life of my spouse. My life, the life of my kids. My life, the life of my church. And to measure the weightiness of each, the value of each. And Paul made the decision that every minister has to make I'm just not going to make my life more important than everybody else. Anybody that's called into ministry is called to surrender the value of your life and to elevate the value of everybody else. That's the second thing that happened when I read that verse. The third thing that happened when I read that verse is I received a call to ministry. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't think I was very smart. I knew I had a ton of gaps. Nobody in my family had ever graduated from college. Nobody had ever really been in the ministry. Nobody in my family was even a Christian at that point. But when it said, I have received a ministry, I sensed that the Lord was calling me into ministry. Understand that ministry is a gift you receive, not a career you choose. Ministry chooses you. As a matter of fact, some people have said, if you can do anything but preach, you should really go do that. And um, I really haven't really found anything else I can do. So this is what I do. It's a ministry that I've received. It's a gift from the Lord. The fourth thing that happened when I read that verse is um, I decided I would make the focus of my ministry preaching the gospel and I would learn to do it with precision and clarity. And so I began to absorb other preachers that I felt like knew how to preach the gospel. And I had to learn from people that knew how to do it because I didn't know how to do it. Understand the gospel is not just the ABCs of salvation. A lot of people reduce the gospel to if you ask Jesus into your heart and uh, you surrender your life to him as Lord and you throw a pine cone in the file at youth camp, raise a hand, walk an aisle, get baptized, and somehow that gets you into the Christian life. And then you graduate from the gospel to the other more important doctrines in Scripture. Wrong. The gospel is not just the front door of salvation. It's the whole house. It's not just the ABCs of salvation. It's the whole alphabet. The gospel informs every decision that you make every day of your life. And therefore, every time the gospel is preached, it requires a response of repentance and faith. And so we want to be sure we are clear about the gospel. And if you haven't heard it, the other 100,000 times I've said it in this church, the gospel is Jesus in my place on a cross dying as a substitute for my sin. And he rose three days later for all who will believe. God is holy. Man is not. Christ is Savior, repent and believe. And it requires a response every time we hear it preached. Here's the fifth thing that happened when I read that verse. I determined that I wouldn't stop until I was finished with my course. Notice here it says that there is a course. And I want to tell you that everybody has a course. And in a sense, if you're a Christian, you have a ministry. The ministry that we receive is, it requires us to finish 
our course. Now, my course is different than your course. Everybody has a different course. My course of ministry took me to uh, Newport, Arkansas as a youth pastor for a while, and then it took me for 15 years on the road preaching in over 500 churches, living on church parking lots, in an RV travel trailer with my wife and children. That was a course. Finished that about 13 years ago, and then the Lord turned a course, and He said, I want you to plant a church. So, the last 13 years, we've been planting the church here, and now the course is changing again, and the Lord's reassigning us to be uh, with family life and to, to, to fulfill the Great Commission through reaching families and marriages through the power of the gospel. That's what we're going to do. My, my ministry is not finished. My course is just changing. And it's changing for you as well as a church because the Lord's raising up others to give leadership in this church. But we have to understand everybody has a course. So I'm going to ask you, when you read this verse, read this verse, do you get the sense that you are on the right course? and that you are actively receiving the ministry that God has given you. My course has taken me in a lot of different places and done a lot of different things. My course has provided travel companions with me, my wife and my children. By the way, the greatest ministry that you have and that I have is your ministry to your family. You don't want to jump over your family to have a ministry to others. The most tragic stories we hear are those that somehow lose their ministry partners as they're elevating the ministry of the gospel, and that's the most tragic thing that could happen. So God has different courses for us. Now, we're going to walk through this thing, and um, I want to look at this entire passage. The reason why I chose this passage is because the context for Acts 20-24 is the Apostle Paul, who has been with a local church in Ephesus for three years. He has poured his life into building a ministry and building a church, and he is saying goodbye to them. Notice in verse 17, Paul does this, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Now notice, one of the ways that Paul built the church was by creating a plurality of elders to give leadership to the church because he knew that his ministry was going to be ending at some point in that church. And so he wanted to raise up others to whom he could pass the baton to that when he left to follow God's call in his life, there would be other men. This church would not be leaderless. And your church has elders to lead you as well. Verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, he lived among them. So I want to show you these five things. There's five unavoidable realities to a ministry that finishes well. The first we've just read, it's transparency. I'll give you the five things right now. It's transparency, tears, truth, trust, and ties. We're going to walk through that here this morning. The first is transparency. Notice he said, you know how I lived among you. Notice he didn't just say, you know what I preached among you. He was a preacher that got off the platform. He was a preacher that lived and moved and, and interacted with the people outside of a Sunday morning worship service. And so ministry requires transparency. In the day of podcasting and YouTube and two-dimensional preachers that we all have access to, it's important that you have a pastor who actually lives among you. That's what Paul did. 
that kind of transparency creates credibility. Transparency doesn't operate on pretense. If the preacher's not living what he's preaching, you're going to detect it while you're living among him. Paul made himself available to the people. And so that's a mark of faithful ministry. It doesn't operate in isolation. It, doesn't, it, it wants to be known beyond the platform. Transparency creates credibility. The people believe what's being preached because they have observed the way the man lives. Not only transparency, but number two, tears, an unavoidable reality of a ministry that finishes well. Look at verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Notice, first of all, in verse 19, he said his ministry was a matter of serving the Lord. If ministry is just about serving people, it won't last long because ministry ministry will disappoint you. This transparency that creates credibility, it also creates vulnerability because if you're going to live among the people, if you're going to know, if you're going to make yourself known to people by living among them, those people will be able to see your gaps, your flaws, your weaknesses, your mistakes, your failures, your sins, and that will create tears when people don't necessarily give you grace when you are at your worst. I'm grateful for those of you that have given, given Andrea and I grace to be your, your pastor and, and his wife throughout the years. You've, you've seen our flaws, you've seen our gaps, you've seen our mistakes, and that's why it takes incredible humility to be in ministry. Do you see it? Serving the Lord with all humility. Without humility, the praise or the criticism of people will erode your ministry. Ministry can be incredibly humiliating. You understand that? Ministry can also be incredibly inflating to your ego. Ministry will test your humility. Ministry um, can inflate your ego because on a Sunday morning, somebody set up a thousand chairs all faced in your direction. A thousand people showed up because they think you've got something to say. Um, they strap a microphone on you and they amplify your voice. They put cameras on you and they, they magnify your image. And it can be incredibly inflating to your ego, it's all a trap. And the Apostle Paul said, I serve the Lord with all humility. That's why the Lord allows trials and tears, because the trials and tears keep you humble in the midst of a ministry, especially when it is growing rapidly. And so those tears that Paul uh, cried are tears that are common to every ministry. Maybe he was crying because of the people that were yet to hear and believe the gospel. Maybe he was weeping over the lost. Maybe those tears involved um, immature believers who misunderstood his motives and misunderstood his message and attacked him, which we certainly know happened as you continue to read in Acts 21 and 22. He was arrested, he was beaten, he was almost killed, and that was just the typical course of his ministry. So ministry involves transparency, it involves tears. Thirdly, 
It involves truth. Look at verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. You know, the only thing Paul would have had to do to avoid the tears would be to avoid the truth. Every tear that fell was in response to somebody attacking him because he was unapologetic about preaching the truth. And he says, in spite of the tears, I didn't shrink. That means I didn't diminish the gospel. I didn't hesitate to preach what was profitable to you. I didn't withhold the truth. I didn't hesitate. I didn't replace the truth with stories to entertain you or to stroke your ego. I didn't apologize for the truth. This is the first pillar of our church, right? Proclaiming the authority of the word of God without apology. And for those that don't receive it and don't believe it and misunderstand it and attack the messenger rather than the message, it can create a lot of tears. But the truth, when accurately preached, will always offend us. It offends me when I read the truth. It confronts my own sinfulness. It, it, it confronts my, my desire to be my own God. And so we should expect the truth to confront us. But notice he says, it is profitable to you. That was his motivation. If I could just get you to believe it, if I could just get you to live it, it would profit you. It would help you. So, there was both tears and truth. But listen, tears without truth in ministry is simply shallow emotionalism. It'll provide short-term relief, but it will not produce eternal life, hope, security, and holiness. And truth without tears is haughty, arrogant, judgmental, and graceless, and it will brutalize people. It'll repel them from God's grace. It'll produce a church full of arrogant, academic people who isolate themselves from a world of sinners in need of the gospel. So what's the mark of faithful ministry? Both truth and tears. Conviction about the truth and compassion for people who are believing lies. If we have both truth and tears in the church, then people who are real, dirty, rotten sinners will find their way in here and they'll say, you know, these people are not messing around. They're unapologetic about the truth. They shoot straight and yet they don't beat me over the head with their Bibles. They don't try to take my head off with what they know. And all the, the truth is also about the truth of the grace and the love of God for sinners like me and the truth that Jesus came to be my substitute to absorb the wrath of God on the cross in my place as a substitute for my sin. And these people are people who will weep with me. It's safe to let them know the deepest, darkest issues of my life. That's the kind of church that Paul built in Ephesus. 
And that's the kind of church that gospel-centered churches have as their environment. There are people who have both conviction and compassion, both truth and tears. So we've found transparency, we found tears, we found truth. Here's the fourth thing. It is trust. Trust. Notice verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me and that every city I seem to find myself in prison. Imprisonment and afflictions await me. And Paul said, I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God with what lies ahead. You know, it'd be, it would be different if the Bible said, not knowing, I'm constrained by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing, but I know that in every city there's hotels and hot tubs, and I'm um, just going to have a wonderful time out there. No, he knew that wherever he went to preach the truth, it would be mixed with trials and tears and opposition, and he went anyway. So he was trusting God with what lies ahead. Secondly, he was trusting God with what he was leaving behind. Look at verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Again, that's the word for elders there. Remember, he's speaking to the elders. He's like, pay attention. Don't, don't fall asleep. Why? Because they need to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The word obtained means purchased. He's purchased the church of God. That means God owns this church, not the senior pastor, not the elders, not the overseers. Jesus owns the church. He purchased it with his own blood. Verse 29, and I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. It's interesting anyway. Paul had to exercise trust in God that he could protect the flock. He knew that fierce wolves were coming. He knew there would be a violent attack on the church. And Paul said, I've got to go anyway. I'm trusting God with what lies ahead. I'm trusting God with what I'm leaving behind. Verse 30 says, he says, there among you or among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. There are the tears again. And so who are these fierce wolves that would attack the truth and try, attack the church and twist the truth? Well, there anyone that tries to erode the clear biblical doctrines that hold the church together. Things like the sufficiency of Scripture alone as our final source of truth. Things like the necessity of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. A culture that would attack the sanctity of marriage, gender, and sexuality, key doctrines that form strong families, that form strong churches. Fierce wolves will attack the 
dignity of every human as image bearers of God. Fierce wolves will attack the urgency of glorifying God and making disciples as God's mission in the world, both here, near, and far. Those are all core doctrines of this church that have been embedded into the DNA. And I'm telling you, you better pay attention. You better pay attention to your flock at home, your family, and you better pay attention to this church because every day the world is out there to erode those things that we hold so true, core biblical doctrines. It's one of the reasons that I'm a little more comfortable about leaving is because of the last 11 weeks in this church, those core classes have undergirded the things that we hold so precious in our church Look at verse 32. And now, he says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul said, I can trust God with you. If I can trust God with my life, I can trust God with your life. I'm commending you to God. I'm committing you to God. What he's saying is, this is no longer my responsibility. It never has been my responsibility. It's God's responsibility to build you up. As a matter of fact, look at uh, verse 25. He says, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. You know, that's impossible to say nowadays. We have Facebook and Instagram and stuff. It's like, you're probably still gonna see my face even though I live among you. But Paul said, man, this, this is gonna be hard because I'm not gonna be able to see what's going on in you and you're not gonna be able to see what's going on in me. Verse 26 says, therefore testifying to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul said, I'm innocent. Now, Paul didn't say he was perfect. But he said, I'm innocent. What he was saying is, I have fulfilled my responsibility. He was saying, I'm not guilty of compromising truth to draw a crowd. I'm not guilty of softening the edges of the call to repent of sin so that you can be saved. Ministers that soften the message, ministers that compromise God's word, they're guilty. And in a sense, there is blood on our hands. And so as a faithful minister of the gospel, we've got to make sure that we're not compromising things that would make us guilty before God. Paul said he, was, he had a clear conscience. He, he preached the message he was sent to preach. He built what he's sent to build. He loved the people that he was sent to love. And he was trusting God. He was commending them to God and moving on to do what God called him to do. Notice it says, he didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I remember 13 years ago when I was wrestling with the decision uh, to leave uh, the ministry that I had as an itinerant revivalist, going basically to a different church every week, 
basically opening my Bible to the same passage every week. Um, the last two years, I was with Life Action Ministries. I went to 66 churches, and on those 66 Sundays, I asked people in those 66 churches to open their Bibles to the same passage of Scripture, and I preached the same sermon 66 times. First 33 were not great. Last 33 were awesome, you know? It gets better every time, right? And, and I was wrestling in my heart. It's like, I would like to preach something different. As a matter of fact, I'd like to preach the whole Bible. I would like to take people through a whole um, book of the Bible. And so for a while, the password on our internet here at the church, you know what the password was? It's not the password anymore, I won't tell you that. But the password used to be 74 sermons in Matthew. That was the, that was the password for the internet. Because, you know why? Because I preached 74 sermons in Matthew over a course of like three years. And whoever put that together thought, that's ridiculous. Who, who could preach 74 sermons? And so it, that was a memorable password. And so, listen, when, you're, when you have to open your Bible to a different passage every week and like mine it and stuff, God starts to do something in you. The reason I ask you to open your Bibles is because I needed to learn to open my Bible. I needed to learn the Bible. And so together we've been on this journey together to learn the whole counsel of God's word because we need the truth. I can trust God with what lies ahead and I can trust God with what I'm leaving behind. Notice what he says in verse 33. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. That's hard, isn't it? I don't know about you. When I see stuff, I want it. Um, I, I, you guys got stuff I want. And, and I would like to have. And if you're going to be in ministry, you have to crucify the temptation to put your security in stuff. You guys know our pastoral staff, and I've, I've said to you many times that every person on our pastoral staff could be making twice as much money doing something else. They're that talented. But if you're gonna be in ministry, you're just gonna have to learn to trust God with what he provides. And I'm grateful for a church that pays your pastor. I really appreciate you paying me over the last 13 years. I received my last paycheck from the church last week. Thank you very much. I'm waking up on January 1st with no guarantee of an income and yet God's gonna provide. There's, there's a trust level in what he provides and that's what Paul was wrestling with. He's like, I coveted no one's gold or silver, but look at verse 34. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Verse 35, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Some people have called that the lost beatitude. You know the beatitudes in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek, remember all that? This one's not included in there. As a matter of fact, this quote from Jesus is not found in any of the four gospels, but Paul knew that Jesus himself said, blessed are those who give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? Do, 
How many of you know that it's more blessed to give a present at Christmas than to give one? All right, everybody over the age of 20 raised their hands. And some of you that are still immature are like, no, I still like to give presents. I'm like, gimme, 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 gimme. Well, eventually you, you mature out of that, hopefully. And as a Christian, I hope you've matured and understand that, that to give part of your paycheck to the Lord is more blessed than to receive a paycheck from your employer. Do you understand this principle? I hope you understand that. Some of you are missing out on the blessing of the discipline of giving. And as we come to the end of the year, this is always a good time to take out like your budget and your checkbook and your bank account and like, have I given everything that the Lord wants me to give back to him this year? I've always said to you, you never wanna end the year with God's money in your pocket. So if God wants some of his money to go to the church, listen, you got five days to get it in, all right? And, and this is a great time to evaluate. I trust that you're going into the year. Number one, do you know even what the Lord has given to you? And have you determined what you're gonna give back to the Lord in the days ahead? It's a great time to do that. And I, I've taught you, you, you should look for places to give. Number one, you start by giving to the church. You give to the church, you give to the poor. You look for people around you that, that need what you have. And there's all kinds of opportunity to give to the poor and then give to support missions. Um, and, and our church, just amazing as I've just reflected on all the different places that our church has ministry. I know we've got a team in January going to, to Puerto Rico. Um, this week, uh, Mitchell Helmkamp and some other friends are going uh, to Northern Africa to get the gospel in places where it's never been before, where we're planting churches. All kinds of great ways to get the gospel out. I'm so grateful for Andrea and our family through the years. The Lord just drove this into us very early on. Part of what I learned in Life Action Ministries was, was how to trust the Lord with our finances. Every time you give, it is a declaration that I am not trusting in money to make me secure. Every time you open your wallet and you give, you're saying, I'm not trusting this. I'm trusting God. And every time you don't give, what you're saying is, no, I need that. I, 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 it provides part of my security. And so we've learned to give over the years. And I trust that that's part of your discipline as well. Um, we, we give in a lot of different places. We, we, you, know, we've, you know, the principle of the tithe, I'm, I'm sure you've, some of you have been in churches where tithing was kind of like, that's the way to give. You give 10% of your income. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just like in the New Testament, the New Testament teaching is like, hey, 100% of it belongs to God. Maybe rather than asking how much does God want you to give, maybe the better question is how much does God want you to keep? And that's a better way of looking at it. It's a grace thing. Um, from the beginning, I mean, Andrew and I, we've always double tithed. We've given 20% back to the church to make up for some knucklehead in the church that doesn't give anything. It's like, I'm paying your tithe too. And, and some of you may want to adopt that principle as well. And, and then we've, we've supported life action missionaries ever since we were in life action. We still uh, give to that cause. And uh, we've got a compassion child named Christian in India and we give there. Andrew and I went to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert the other night and there was an appeal to to be a part of adoption ministry. And so we signed up for that as well. And I just hope you're looking for just every opportunity. God has abundantly blessed so many of us to give and to, to, to make a, an impact. And you know that whatever you give, you, you don't lose because you're, you're making eternal investments. You're laying up treasure in heaven. And so 
abundant ways to give. Uh, many of you have asked about our needs and, and today is day 95 of the 100 days that we've been praying that God would provide 100% so that we could be fully funded going into ministry and, and the Lord's provided over 90% of that and so we're still waiting on him to, to nudge some of you to join our team and stuff. If you want more information about that, you can go to trentgriffith.com or you can come see me and we can talk about that. Uh, thanks for praying for us. Here's the last thing, ties, ties. Transparency, truth, Tears, trust, ties. Look at verse 36. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. By the way, we're not going to do that today. We did that a couple of weeks ago, okay? So we're just, we're not, we're not going to like flood the church with tears today. We did that. There was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced. Do you see the tie? They were tied together. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being, more, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. I believe that means that they were most sorrowful, not that they were leaving, but they were most sorrowful because they knew that the fierce wolves were going to attack them. And yet it says they, they were sorrowful that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. They were weeping, they embraced, and they, they kissed. This was not like a romantic love. This was a family love. Paul was part of their family. Their hearts were knit together. They'd shared experience together. It, and to them, it must have felt like the amputation of a body part to say goodbye to Paul. But notice... They knelt down and they prayed together. Spiritual family members are committed to something greater than themselves. That's why they knelt down in an act of surrender. Maybe some of those, those prayers were, Lord, we, we wouldn't have chosen this. We, we don't prefer this, but we're surrendering our right to have what we want and we are sending someone we love to accomplish your will in the world with another group of people. That's what they did with Paul. And because they did, we've got more than the book of Ephesians in our Bible. We've also got Philippians and Colossians and Romans because Paul went to all those places, not just to Ephesus. Spiritual friendship is what they were experiencing. You know, when you're trying to build a romance, you spend a lot of time face-to-face. -face. When you're trying to build a friendship, you spend a lot of time shoulder-to-shoulder, -shoulder, facing something else. Spiritual friendship is built when you're committed to the same thing, when you're kneeling down to the same thing, when you're dependent upon the same power, when you're surrendered to the same mission. So they relinquish their right to proximity and they embrace the will of God to get the gospel out. They were tied together in their hearts even though they were having to let go of one another in proximity. They loosened their grip on one another without loosening their grip on the Great Commission. And that's what our church has always been about. It's been about glorifying God and making disciples. And that's going to continue to be what this church is all about. And that's going to continue to be what our family is all about. 
And even though we're going to wake up in 2022 kind of in a little different relationship, I trust that there's always going to be this family tie because this is our spiritual family. And I trust that you're not going to let go of us in your hearts and that in sending us, you'll see that you're fulfilling the Great Commission as well. I thought about um, how I might want to end my last sermon at Gospel City and uh, wanted to be really intentional about the words that I chose. And I remembered back 13 years ago how I was very intentional about the words that I chose as the first words for Gospel City Church. And I don't think I can improve on the first words that I spoke when we planted the church. So I'd like those to be the last words that I speak in the final sermon in this church. Here's the way that we started the church, and here's the way that I'm going to finish my ministry as your senior pastor. Today is a historic day. If God gives us his favor, we will often look back to this day in the years to come to celebrate a healthy, growing, maturing church. Those of us on the launch team have spent countless hours, thousands of dollars, and shed many tears in preparation for this day. Our motivation is not to promote ourselves, our opinions, or creative ability. We live with the very sobering sense that we have been sent to communicate a timeless message in a timely fashion preserved forever in God's Word. We will not measure our success by attendance, dollars, or meeting felt needs. We believe the world has seen enough of the church's human efforts to impress them or to convince them that Jesus is still relevant or cool. Our measure of success will be obedience to God, resulting in the transformation of self-focused lives to lives centered on Jesus Christ. It says that when um, they were saying goodbye to Paul, they, they knelt down. I wonder if we could just end this service in the same posture. Would you, if you're physically able and have a desire to do so, would you just turn and kneel down? Just maybe turn that seat into an old-fashioned prayer altar and let's kneel down and give our attention to the only one who's worthy of our ministry, of our lives. As you're kneeling there, would you just, first of all, tell the Lord, I will not count my life of any value or precious to myself. You might just confess, Lord, I've made too much of me. And Lord, I choose to decrease, that you would increase in my life. And secondly, would you, would you tell him, Lord, it, 
you've given me a ministry and I want to finish my course well. Whether that's a ministry to your spouse, to your family, to your small group, in your career, in your occupation. I receive my ministry. You might even tell him, Lord, I want to make my life more about testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Thank you for your grace in my life. Thank you for including me and your family in a fresh way. I repent and I believe. Father, we come to you today as a needy people and we thank you for the countless preachers and pastors, men like Bill Stafford, moms and dads, grandmas, as we've heard about from Andrea, that loved your word, that loved Jesus enough to get the gospel to us. Thank you for the work that you've been doing over the, over the course of the past 13 years of my own life to teach me the Bible, to teach me the gospel. Thank you for the grace of a church that's received it, that's lived it, and is committed to getting it to others. I pray that you would protect your work here. Lord, our church is surrounded by fierce wolves, philosophies of men, people that are so offended at truth that they can't see your grace. The enemy would love nothing more than to rip us apart, not from the outside, but even from the inside. So Lord, would you protect, pray for the elders, the overseers of this church. Thank you for raising them up, their conviction, their courage. Father, we simply want to be more like Jesus. And we know that in order to see that happen in order to keep, keep us from elevating and exalting ourselves. You bring trials and tears. So many times you take away things that we find security in. Lord, we know that your word and your grace are sufficient to build us up. I pray that you would continue to do that. Provide for every need. Make this a generous place where we don't consume all that you give on ourselves, but we freely give to meet the needs of others. Lord, would you replicate the kind of men that Paul were, the kind of churches that, that Paul built. And God, do a, a new work in our own hearts. May it never grow stale. Lord, I pray for the children in the room that they would be the next generation who would take you seriously, that would worship you intimately. It's a joy to see so many families that are making their homes Christ-centered. Lord, multiply that 
throughout this area, throughout this region, throughout the world. We pray it for your glory. Make us more like Jesus, no matter what the cost, no matter what you have to take away to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.